This Father's Day, treat Dad to delicious deals at Vons. You'll find all his favorites at great low prices. So ditch the tie and get Dad what he really wants at Vons. Pick up a new crop of locally grown red, green, or black seedless grapes for only 88 cents a pound. And get Coke, Pepsi, 7-Up, or Dr. Pepper 12-pack, 12-ounce cans, $2.88 each, plus CRV when you buy five with your club card. Vons. It's just better. Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking Black Sales. I am one of your hosts, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California. And I'm here once again to break down another uh, episode of Black Sales. I am here with my wonderful co-host. I'm going to start off with the one and only Yardley. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Kente. Look forward to this discussion. You know, every time we jump back into talking black sales, uh, my excitement level goes up. But also, it's kind of good to get a refresher, seeing as we're over, uh, I guess we're over a year removed from the show. A year removed. It's, uh, it is very weird that uh, I remember, like it was yesterday, us just deciding that we were going to do this show. And then now that we're a year removed, that's it's bananas to me. But <laughs> yeah. time flies. Oh, yeah. Time definitely flies. Also joining us is Jen. How are you doing, Jen? Hey, I'm doing really good. I, I actually have a black sales story to tell you. Oh, okay, go ahead. <clears throat> okay. So I uh, I bought this shirt that says, ask me about black sales. I'm an expert, right? <laughs> and I was wearing it at the grocery store, and this guy tapped me on the back, and he said, wow, what's that shirt all about? And I said, you know, black sales, it's about pirates, and gave him sort of a quick rundown on what black sales was all about. So I also gave him uh, my email address and I was like, you know, if you decide that you want to watch it, let me know and I'll hook you up with a group and all this stuff. So he emails me back and he said, when, when you said that this show was about pirates, I thought it was about real pirates. And I was totally confused because, you know, Black Sails seems like the real pirates, right? So apparently there's a whole group of people out there who believe that the real pirates are actually uh, people like um, like like the, the people that do musicals, the people that, uh, the silly kinds of pirates. He was totally not ready for the realism of the pirates. And I just thought it was so hilarious the real pirates are actually the pirates that do the comical musical stuff. That was great. So just, you know, in case there's any historical people that listen in and uh, apparently the real pirates are actually, they sang and danced. They, they weren't, yeah, <laughs> not apparently. back to politics. That is hilarious. You know, I just thought that you wore the shirt. That's your way of um, picking up guys was uh, wearing that shirt. It, it, it did work, but I apparently picked up a guy that was crazy about show tunes, so I'm not <laughs> sure that was a great fix. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that that was one of the things, too, that we initially were talking about was 
we were actually we were giving it praise on how the show wasn't just your regular uh you know the what we've grown used to as far as uh pirate themed stuff you know so uh yeah that's interesting yeah for me i think that that was probably the biggest draw i wouldn't have watched it otherwise i don't think that's why that spin not spin off but that's why the that that show called crossbones didn't work because it was too it didn't take itself serious enough it wasn't piratey enough if you will well that's nbc though so you know that's that's also one of those things where they were hindered but i i I agree with you i don't think that they i think that they didn't think that people were ready for the type of pirate stories that we love i think that they kind of underestimate uh, audiences sometimes because when you think of i mean honestly though if you say a pirate even though i love black sales one of the first things I think about is like Robin Williams and you know, like the like, you know, Hook and those pirates and Or Jack all, Sparrow. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I mean, you know, it kind of gets to a point where over time some of the things that we use for entertainment totally taints what was, you know, kind of awesome and terrifying at the same time many years ago. So uh, you know, hopefully as time goes on, people have more confidence in the taking material that people didn't take seriously before and kind of making it their own and making it something awesome and glad you know I'm grateful that we at least had an opportunity to have that in Black Sales so I, I think the the answer to all of this is <clears throat> to go back and fix my shirt so that it says ask me about Black Sales I'm an expert in backstabbing politics sex violence and robbery at high seas that maybe that will help kind of clear it no. up because all the dude is going to see is sex. And then, <laughs> you know, you could have 20 words and they're going to see sex. And, that, and that's what, they, you know what I mean? But anyway. okay, but, okay, that's but so funny because that, that's... Still a good pickup. Still a good pickup shirt. Yeah, that's so funny because that was the only word that I picked out of that. Oh, uh, I, so. Predictable. Very predictable. Very, very predictable. Yes. Oh, yeah. At least I won't get any show tune, guys. Hey, there you go. <laughs> um... Before we get into uh, Black Sales, uh, we weren't on last week, so it's been about two weeks since we've been on uh, with this show, and I was just wondering, um, personally, how you guys been doing? Uh, anything to report as far as uh, uh, new goings-on in your guys' lives? Uh, I mean... I mean, nothing out of the ordinary, you know, the, the same old thing, you know. Uh, you know, you kind of uh, go to work, and then of course there is and uh, you'll be proud of me jen i also do the creeping it real show uh, as, well, <laughs> as well so i've done that and actually i jumped on a couple of weeks ago i think it was might have been the weekend where we didn't do this show um i kind of jumped back into doing i did an episode of behind the iron throne now granted i've i've for the most part i've been wanting to stay away from game of thrones because i i just you know i like talking about the show and there's only so much, you know, going backwards and looking into history right. uh, of some of this Game of Thrones stuff 
that I can palette because I there was a lot of years when we were getting the show consistently where that's all we did. You know, we do the show and, you know, in the off season we would kind of dig into other Game of Thrones lore that might not necessarily have been covered in the particular story of a song in Ice and Fire. So it was kind of fun to talk to Chris Gray and, you know, Jonathan, um, and kind of get caught up on what they um some of them did at the Ice and Fire Con. I think that was the name of it. But that was kind of fun. But mostly I've been just searching for good stuff on TV and I've been beating the hell out of my movie pass. So that's all I've been about. <laughs> Yeah, because it could go away at any time. So yeah, we'll take advantage. I think of. that the, I, you don't. Th- I think that they're going to be on good footing, though. I, I mean, I actually think that I read something about their like. I think they're like buying movie theaters now or something. Oh, crazy. okay. Yeah, I'm not. Dude, I'm not worried about it. Actually, there was actually an article in Movie Pass where I think the people who came up with it they actually had a ton of money to the side because they already knew that they might lose a little money in the beginning, but. uh I think they'll be okay, and like I, like what we always say, can they just ride it till the wheels fall off? Yeah, that's what I. That's what, one of the reasons why I didn't get it at first was I thought there's no way it's gonna last. Then I thought about it. I said, you know what? I'll just get it till it doesn't. <laughs> you know. So, and I've loved it ever since. I've got way more out of it than I put into it. So I'm I'm really happy about it. So I hope it don't go anywhere, and uh, I think it'll be it's a good thing if you don't have it. So. So, so what's been cracking, Jen? You're not under a pile of molten ash yet? No, not yet. We're still on a different island, and it hasn't reached this far yet, so we're still in good shape. Still in good shape. Awesome. <clears throat> I, You know, I wanted to ask, though, so just while we're actually talking about TV and black sails and epic stuff like Game of Thrones, what are you guys watching? I'm trying to remember the last thing that I I think the the last oh actually I am on I think episode five of Westworld I actually took some time and you know I've I might not make it all the way through an episode, not because it's not a decent episode. It's just once I start watching, I'm usually lying in bed. And then next thing I know, I'm out and I'm having to to kind of go back and rewatch it. But um, I think I'm around the middle of the first season of Westworld. Well, actually, there's still a couple more episodes left of this season, correct? Yeah. Of this season? Of the season two? Uh, uh, No, yeah, of season two. Yeah, Yeah, it's not not over. There's a couple. No, not yet. So I was doing that, and then, oh, you know what? Another thing that I watched, and it wasn't recently, <laughs> but something that I really did enjoy watching, it, it was on Hulu back when I had that Future Man. I really dug that. I really mm. dug that show. It, it's funny. It doesn't take itself seriously, and I, and I think that it has, a, it has a decent premise, so I think the writing's good, so I definitely recommend that to both of you. Okay, Future Man, all right. Um, yeah, it does sound kind of good. Uh, I, a show that I'm looking forward to watching, uh, even though it's going to be on CBS All Access, is uh, the, the show Strange Angel uh, starting on the 14th of June. I'm really excited about it because that story is a story that I've, you know, always thought would make a, a great movie or a TV series or something like that um, about Jack Parsons and the beginning of uh, Rocket Science and all the crazy stuff that happened with that. Um, looking, 
Okay. Yeah, it's it's it is that okay, yeah, okay. Well I'll think about that. Do y'all plan do Kente do either of you plan on going to see Because, uh, you know there there's a lot of documentaries coming out and I know that they might have limited runs in different places, but that um the My Neighbor about Mr. Rogers and then you've got the Robin Williams documentary, uh that I think was also coming out i've watched the trailers for both of those and they both look uh pretty outstanding so i I think i'm gonna jump on that bandwagon as well you know what i would like to see both of those because uh you know grew up with mr rogers actually grew up with uh robin williams as well and uh i'm i'm the robin williams one i'm looking to see how real that documentary is are they gonna just is it just gonna be all the nice stuff are they going to go into the controversy with him and, you know, a lot of the, you know, the shady, the shady side of Robin Williams as well? Yeah, you can't leave that out. Yeah. So, you know, I, the real talk, I like Robin Williams, first of all. I think he's a fantastic actor, and, you know, a, a really good comedian. But a lot of comedians hated his guts because he was a, <laughs> he was yeah. a joke. He was a joke thief and he, he was an admitted jokes, joke thief and where he got you know, knocked on his ass many times and, and had to pay, uh, you know, other comedians because he would steal their stuff. So I wonder if, are they going to clean that stuff up? Are they going to really like, you know, or is it just going to be like, oh, all the great things that he did and all of that stuff? Because, you know, if it's well-rounded and they cover everything, then I'm going to watch it, you know, and he deserves to be thought of, you know, highly, but he also, that other side needs to be pointed out as well. What's up, Jen? You got quiet. Robin Williams, well, your uncle? I, no, I, I just I have such complicated feelings about Robin Williams. I mean, like you guys, I grew up watching Robin Williams, and I have this sort of hero complex about a lot of the stuff that he did. Like it, I, it, it was just so influential, sort of in my life in terms of how entertainment gelled in my head. So it's hard for me sometimes to see sort of the darker side of the stuff that was happening with him. And I I don't know, it's convoluted for me. The Mr. Rogers one, that one, I really want to see. There's nobody, I don't think, uh, in in sort of the present day that has been more engaged in not just, how can I even explain this? It's not really rights for early childhood development. It's like early childhood development as a concept. I just I love Mr. Rogers. He was such a phenomenal. Fred Rogers was a phenomenal man altogether. But the way that the way that I grew up with Mr. Rogers was totally different than the way that I grew up seeing Robin Williams. So I don't have like super complicated feelings about Mr. Rogers, but I have really super complicated feelings about Robin Williams. I don't know. I'm not sure if I want to see something that exposes all the darkness. I kind of want to keep my memory squeaky clean. Why not? We're 13 minutes in and people are probably cutting. I know, right? They're like, are you guys going to freaking talk about this? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, because we're all like, it's turned into the Robin Williams podcast. Well, you asked. No, no, you're right, you're right. Well, I could totally segue into Black Sails. I have complicated feelings about every three of the characters that we're about to talk about, so. So, uh, I'll put on the the thing. The fourteen minutes mark is where we talk about black cells. I'll put that in the thing. Okay, so let's talk about black cells. Um, we're going to be focusing on three characters today, and these three characters, as asked by the fans. So this episode is not a hit. It's all our fans' fault. 
<laughs> so, so uh, it's uh, Thomas Hamilton, Pastor Lambrick, and Richard Guthrie. So we'll start off with Thomas Hamilton. And um, Thomas Hamilton, you know, what was he in? How many episodes was he in? Three, four? Well, he he was in a couple, but I mean, it was only season two that season we saw two. Thomas Hamilton. So. Right. And so, but his, you know... That loomed large, obviously, his character and and his relationship to uh, Flint, and he's obviously a, a huge part part of you know Flint and his you know his motivations and whatnot. So let me start off with you, uh, Jen. Uh, how would you describe Thomas Hamilton, the character, before we get into how he relates to Flint? Uh, him as a person or whatever well you know I I told you that I was going back through the series through all the series and I had had a chance to sort of rewatch things from the beginning and then uh, episodically through to the end and there's some there's odd things that I noticed that even affect season one which the writers were really good with in that the entire dynamic of who Thomas Hamilton was as a character is sort of the, I mean, people are going to kill me for saying this, but Thomas Hamilton is basically the wider vision of NASA. So as a character, he is sort of the, uh, he's the, he's the connection between England and the original uh, pirates of NASA I don't think we would even be introduced to them in the story if there wasn't the Thomas Hamilton kind of piece because that's how Flint got there. So Thomas Hamilton is, um, how would you describe him? He's a gentleman. He's a gentleman who has uh, a father who is very influential but who has influence in his own right and is putting together a plan to basically reform NASA. And at the heart of his plan is reform NASA with pardons for all the pirates. And I think that's basically like the big crux of who Thomas Hamilton is and what he brings forward. Hmm. Yeah, um, well, for me, I agree with everything that you just said, Jen. I, I I thought that the mystery of the character in the beginning and then the kind of unraveling of what he was about along with the relationship that we end up finding out that he was having with James McGraw, which was one of the things that kind of got him put into the situation where we find out that he was, uh, I think it was, he was in a, a, a mental, uh, he was sent to a mental institution, I think by his father, you know, to kind of, you know, separate him out from um, James McGraw and I definitely love the 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 love triangle between um, you know uh, Thomas uh, Flint and Miranda. That was one of the most interesting threads, at least to me, that had developed in the series, and the one of the ones that I actually was the most interested in following. Now, I think anybody who's listened to me on this show in the past knows. I'm a huge fan of Captain Flint. Like, I, I really do like that character. And, uh, you know, 
I think both of you probably remember, um, you know, when we were watching the series, you know, if you kind of read comments on the Internet from a lot of others who watch the TV show, you know, there was a certain segment of people who kind of felt like um, the revelation about Thomas being Flint's lover was something that came out of nowhere. And I think all of us probably at some point in our fandom had to kind of point out one, the writers had always said that that was the, you know, the route that they were going. But in addition to that, when you go back and you rewatch the series and you look at some of the clues and some of the things that were kind of presented, you kind of realize that they were kind of giving you hints towards, you know, there was something that was, um, there was something that was missing in Flint, or when you looked, uh, what was the scene that we hated, um, Kente? The sex uh, scene? Uh, when, yeah, the sex scene with him and Miranda. <laughs> and he, he was looking uh, disinterested. And you know what? At some point, I want you to, you need to pull the clip of us talking about that. Uh, <laughs> of yeah. us talking about that. But uh, that was something that really irked me. I'm like, how in the hell is this guy not going straight Hulk Hogan <laughs> on, this, on this woman? And we come to find out, you know, he, he had, you know, mixed emotions. However, some people uh, tend to say, because I think at the end of the day, we know that Flint, I guess his true love ended up being, you know, was Thomas. But there was, you know, he did have some interest at some point in Miranda because through her, I think that that's kind of how you know, all of this started. And I, we also had made the point that with Thomas, um, I think there was a scene in the show where they had some of these kind of um, awkward scenes when they were doing the flashbacks between all three of the characters. But I thought that that was kind of realistic. So for me, I think Thomas was a genuine guy. Uh, he thought that he was tr he was doing the right thing with um, the plans that he had for Nassau. But I probably uh, would disagree with people who said that we would need more of his character. I thought that we got enough for what they were trying to do with the show, and I, yeah. I appreciated that they didn't kind of linger on and make that more of a thing. It made the ending a little bit better for me, and uh, I felt like they did it right, but I might be the only one. You, you know who uh, you know who Thomas Hamilton reminds me of <clears throat> in sort of uh, in sort of fiction if we're going to look at uh, if we're going to look at specific archetypes, um, Thomas Hamilton, at least at the very beginning, and maybe through to the end of season two, reminds me of sort of Jiminy Cricket, right? S sitting on Pinocchio's shoulder to say, "Okay, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is why you should do it. Here's your motivation." And it it's everything that Flint does basically ha goes back to that arc of what did Thomas Hamilton have in store for Nassau. And it, it, it isn't until the end of season two, which is a rid, which is sort of, there's an irony there because that's the, also the end of when we see Thomas Hamilton. Um, but it might also be the beginning of a different Captain Flint um, where the, where the idea of what Thomas Hamilton had looks less and less possible so something else needs to be born out of it and and that it it seems to me to be also one of the lessons of black sales especially through this character which is <clears throat> the best ideas are not usually ideas that you just get and then carry through they're ideas that get molded and sort of uh built on by all the other characters and that's how they get stronger like a good steel you know they have to be hammered into shape you have to add different elements into it 
And that's how you get something good and strong. And apologies, y'all. I thought that I was on mute. <laughs> if y'all heard all that banging, that's on me. I thought I was on mute. Sorry. No. Um, let me ask this question: Do you do you believe the plan was always going to be where Flint ends up with Hamilton, um, or was that something they decided to do in the in the final season? What do you mean, the ending? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could totally see as time went on because it was four seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know, because, you know, like a lot of people who when we um, like, you know, we've interviewed a bunch of writers or whatever. I think overall you want to have a beginning and an end and you kind of, you know, fill in the stuff in the middle. Right. I think that it's I, I believe that the way that it ended was something that they planned Um but how it got executed, it might have evolved over time. But, you know, I, the writers had stated, at least we know for sure, that the relationship aspect was something that they always went with. But I think that the ending, and actually, to be quite honest, uh, I mean, that ending, I could totally see it have been something that they planned out from the beginning. Because it was, wasn't really a lot. When you think about the the last scene which I think was Flint and Thomas, if I'm not mistaken. Or was it? Or or did it go back to Silver? I, I can't it even... went back to Silver. Okay, that's right. Well, well, the last scene that we saw with him, it really, what wasn't it like maybe two minutes at that? It was like him walking up and it looking all hazy. Because remember, we talked about some people were saying that that might not have really happened. It could have been a dream or dream. Flint was really dead or something. And I'm like, nah, Flint isn't dead. I just, I, I really, you know, I... At least for me, or my head cannon told me, nah, Flint, Flint didn't die, you, you know, and that really happened. But like you, Jen, I could totally see if someone said, hey, he was dead and that was just some, you know, some dream when he was dying. That's totally possible, too. But I kind of and plus, like I said, I'm a Flint fanboy, so he lived, damn it. Well, the way that I saw it was, I think the writers may have, I mean, who knows, but I think the writers may have anticipated that Flint needed to die. And and whether he needed to die physically or simply die metaphorically, there was no more Captain Flint. Flint needed to die. I'm not saying James McGraw needed to die, but Flint needed to die. And because of that, there, that ambiguity at the very end... I kind of think the writers may have had some, whether it was that version or a version similar to it, it seems like that was planned. Like, there was always the plan to sort of keep a Thomas Hamilton-esque idea in place. I, I just, it's hard for me, though, to imagine that such a small little seed of what was planted into John Silver's head about Thomas Hamilton could have yielded the kind of fruit that it yielded. And I, again, you know, when we're talking about the Thomas Hamilton character, remember that we're talking about a character who his father sent him off to the insane asylum, not for, you know, any, wasn't because he was politically opposing him. He sent him off there because he was gay. I mean, that's, that's how serious it was. I forgot who it was that told Flint, you're lucky that we that we're not having the rest of this conversation basically with you in a hangman's noose. Th- that's how serious it was. So 
I, I it's it, the in terms of how Thomas Hamilton was presented at the end, it seems to me like like that developed over the course of the writing and not necessarily that at the beginning of the series, we know how it's going to end with Thomas Hamilton and Flint being together, McGraw being together. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I'm looking at the scene right now when they, the final scene and, uh, you know, where they embrace and they, you know, they start kissing and it's so funny because everybody else is like totally ignoring what they're doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know and you know what? And that's one of the reasons why when people say that they think that Flint died, that is the reason why I'm like, huh, maybe he is dead because there ain't no damn way you're going to have these brothers and sisters out there not going, what the fuck? <laughs> what the hell are you, you doing? You know what I mean? But, um, <laughs> yeah, they just sit there like, just looking. I, yeah, but I, I thought that it was shot great. I mean, you know, and I, and I was happy because when, when you think about it, and I definitely want to get your perspective on this, Jim, when you look at everything that these characters went through, especially Flint and Silver, but since we're talking about, you know, Hamilton in this context, you know, <laughs> I mean, for, um, you know, for me, I, I kind of I kind of felt like um, I, I thought that the ending was solid but something in my gut tells me that it was a purpose of the people who were writing for it to have that ambiguity to kind of keep the conversation going <laughs> that we're having uh now about the characters so i i envy them um with what they did with the show i i, I <clears throat> see i think that this was <clears throat> in in some ways it was it was an open circle question in season two what happened to Thomas Hamilton's dream? And we see over season three and season four that Thomas Hamilton's dream did not pan out. And that there was not what they expected to happen happened. Now, other things happened, but, you know, not what Thomas Hamilton had dreamed in particular. And so at the very end, what we see is Thomas Hamilton basically and and Flint, but let's just stick with Thomas Hamilton for the moment. His dream gets to be sort of closed in the circle because while what he wanted for NASA didn't happen, what he wanted with James McGraw did happen. And so it felt like there was some purposeful closure to the Thomas Hamilton story because it was such an open looming thing through seasons two three and four yeah. and that's kind of that that's why i think they sort of made it ambiguous too because it because although it closes the thomas hamilton story it doesn't close the door on the idea that silver actually killed flint on the island either it just closes the idea of yeah. who thomas hamilton was in his story Oh, absolutely. And how many episodes did we get Alfred Hamilton in uh, Thomas's father? It wasn't many, right? Like two? Oh, his dad? Yeah. yeah. I think it was two. It was like a couple. Yeah, it was like a couple of episodes. Now, and, and before, you know, we, we move on, one of the other reasons why I think that, you know, Flint had survived, when we look at everything that Flint did up until they were on the island, you know, and Silver was sending his men to to go get him, like Flint pretty much just ran through all of them. You know what I mean? Right. And I personally don't think that Silver could kill Flint in a fight. I just don't. 
<laughs> you know I what I mean? So I just either. don't. So for me, because what was it? It was a gunshot or something. Uh, what, what? How did it, it? You know, refresh my memory, y'all. Like, wasn't there like a scene where they were in the forest, then a gunshot went off and the birds started moving or something like that? Um, so, so Silver gave Flint basically an ultimatum and said, "Look, either we're going to do it this way, or you're going to die. I, be, like, either you come with me peacefully and we leave this island." And we leave the treasure behind and all that. And and he gave Flint that choice. And he was holding a gun to him. So we so we have to believe that either Flint left with them peacefully at gunpoint or that Silver killed him. Hey, well, what do y'all think that Thomas would have like if, if Thomas could have spoken to Flint through this journey that he was on? You know, when we got to the fourth season of this show, um, if Thomas was able to talk to Flint and like when he find out finds out that Flint turned into one of the most you know notorious you know pirates that was around you know in this story you know and all of that stuff, uh, what type of things do you think that Thomas would have? told Flint like do you think that he would have been able to j- just because they were in love you think that he would have been able to reel him back or do you think that had you know with all of the things that Thomas went through and Flint went through because of you know he gets sent to the mental institution all of this stuff do you think that Thomas would have joined Flint on that journey because they were partners like that or do you feel like um, Flint would have actually reverted back to being you know James McGraw Ooh, that's a good question. Mm, yeah, it's a great one. I, I uh, personally, I don't think that. <clears throat> I think that once you split Flint, uh, well, once you split James B- McGraw into sort of a little James McGraw and a larger size Flint, that there was no reconciling the two of them. I mean, they were sort of at war a little bit with each other a couple of times in the Carolinas, you know. But I don't, I, I think that once Flint, once you decide that your morality is compromised to the point that you can start doing things that you once believed were terrible in the name of doing something perhaps that you think is right, you've lost your way. And I think that Thomas Hamilton would have recognized that immediately and pulled Flint out of that entire situation and said, no, no. See, that's not what we're fighting for. And it, in some ways, the, the dissent and the madness of Captain Flint throughout Black Sails is really sort of the, the you can attribute it to his going sort of insane, well, insane maybe is too strong, but him having some kind of break because of the loss, because he was still grieving the loss of Thomas Hamilton. I mean, Miranda says as much, right? Um, And so that piece in and of itself sort of says to me that Thomas Hamilton probably wouldn't have been the one to sort of rescue Flint as much as rescue James McGraw. I think think Flint is just an entirely... uh, like like a coping mechanism, like a mechanism that was necessary for Flint to do such great evil in the charge of what he was trying to carry out for Thomas Hamilton. But I don't think Thomas Hamilton would have seen it that way, uh, to be totally honest. Hmm. 
Wow. Uh, that's interesting. That's deep. Uh, I don't know, man. I uh, I like to believe that because he had, you know, he did have a, a strong moral compass. So I don't think he would have approved. But you know, at the at that point, he's just, you know, it's just scorched earth at that point, right? He's just going, he's going after, uh, you know, doing his thing. So, hey, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, hey, we'll 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 never know. I mean, something. You know, it's weird because we all kind of have, uh, there's a certain way that we think of these characters, you know, in our mind. But as we know, you know, life and circumstance causes people, you know, to change. So I totally agree with everything that Jen said with, you know, how she felt like Thomas would have pulled him back. But at the same time, you know, once you've gone through a lot of stuff, it, it would be hard for me to believe that Thomas wouldn't have been changed you know, as well. So I think that there's a possibility he would have said, hey, you know, let's burn this thing down, you know, together and, you know, do what we can. I thought that that would kind of be cool. But then again, it turns into a totally different show if these two, you know, if um, if, if the things that happened to Thomas, uh, Thomas didn't happen. So uh, I'm just, you know, I'm pleased and I'm accepting of what I got. But I'll always wonder if uh, how things would have turned out you know, had Thomas changed the same way that Flint did, but not necessarily under the same circumstances. See, see, the thing is that, that the motivation to be the quote-unquote monster is necessary for us to understand the fiction of who Flint is. And so it's not that we need Thomas Hamilton necessarily to, to be our... Uh, it's not like we need Thomas Hamilton to intrude on whether or not we could pull Flint back what we need is to understand why Flint was where he was in that state of needing to be pulled back. And so that's where uh, the, the sort of the brilliance of the black sales writers comes in. That when, you mo when you give a character the kind of backstory motivation that they did with the Thomas Hamilton story, the deep shame, the sadness, the utter despair, it, it, you can feel a kind of visceral response to what would happen to you if you felt that way. What would you do if you felt that way? Would you be willing to break all social norms? What, you know, if you're already an intelligent, strong-minded person, would you be willing to put all of that at play to see through something that you believed in? Well, th that's what gives Flint sort of the fuel of who he is as a character. But when we look back at what Thomas Hamilton provided to us via the story, what he really provided to us was the power behind Flint. And so we can't understate how important that was and I don't want to diminish the fact that Thomas Hamilton was a character unto himself, and especially as he related to Miranda too. But, but he, but really, the Thomas Hamilton story was: How did Flint become Flint? I agree, definitely agree. All right. So, uh, before we uh, move on to our next character that we're going to be talking about, I want to um, also mention that this is actually. A milestone in our podcast that I probably should have mentioned at the beginning of the show. This is actually episode 50 of the Talking Black Sales podcast, which is really cool that we were able to do so many uh, great podcasts. And, um, you know, uh, kudos to, of course, uh, Yardley and Olaf, who's not here, 
and Jen and everybody that's, you know, the fans and everything uh, that we were able to get to this number. So uh, this is episode 50. Wow. All right. Well, let's pat ourselves on the back for that one. That's right. In the uh, podcasting handbook, it says celebrate every milestone, no matter how little or big. I wrote so that. I wrote that. I wrote that handbook, by the way. Free virtual <laughs> rum for everybody. That's right. Yep. If you're listening, you should totally take a drink of, you know, pretend rum. Well, real rum if you got it, but. All right. So um, next is Pastor Lambrick, uh, who, you know, we had a um, we had a great opportunity to interview Mark Elderkin uh, in the first season. And uh, his character was, you know, really big in the first season. And then, it, you know, it, it dwindled as it went on. Uh, I'm not blaming his uh, appearance on our show for the reason why. But, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, he was definitely a great guest and a very good character. So uh, I want to, being that you weren't uh, on that particular show, Jen, can you uh, give your thoughts about what you thought about Pastor Lambert? Well, okay, so just so you know, he's actually credited with more episodes than Thomas Hamilton. So he's got, it's it's not huge, but it's impressive. Um, The way that I think of Pastor Lambrick is is sort of multidimensional. I think that Pastor Lambrick gives us the ultimate view into the Miranda side of the island um the 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 interior of the island if you will and and the kind of odd juxtaposition in morality that existed i'm sorry real real quick can uh yardley and uh jen can you look at a facebook messenger and continue sorry because i i i think that that something interesting that happened with lambrick is that he absolutely positively made this kind of connection for us between why the rest of the interior of the island were so anti-pirate and i don't just mean that they were anti-pirate like um like they were like the morality of them was bad or anything i mean they were just so different you know pastor lambrick has this whole civilization thing going on he sits and drinks tea with miranda he is he's sort of all about the ritual and order of things and it was such a nice little uh segue uh, into this is who those people were and this is why they were so different from the pirates i mean that's how i see it what do you think you know what something else that i found that was kind of interesting by the way that they um utilize character and one of the reasons why i think that the show closed so uh so strongly was the fact that like other shows might not have necessarily incorporated uh, Pastor Lambrick into some of the more pivotal moments that happen, um, you know, later on in, in the season. A lot of people might not even remember that it was Pastor Lambrick who tried to, um, I don't know if you call it last rites or whatever, but he gave, you know, Charles Vane essentially his last meal and, you know, you That's know, right. gave him gave him an opportunity to. I guess, ask for forgiveness for his deeds. And, um, 
I thought that that was kind of cool the way that they made sure that a lot of the characters that we would probably consider to be minor, um, they managed to give everybody a little bit of something uh, down the stretch. And um, if you if you did happen to hear our episode and all of our episodes are available at Indie, um, I think it's a I want I don't know if you changed it to .net, but IndieRadio.org. Yeah, it's IndieRadio.org. Um, yeah, you can find uh, that episode where we definitely get into a lot of stuff, including Pastor Lambrick being a Minute Man with Miranda, which was a pretty, <laughs> which was a pretty funny part, you know, of that conversation. Actually, you know, you know, me and Kente had to kind of had to kind of, you know, dig him on that. But apparently we weren't the first and he was really a good sport about it. But uh, his character um, essentially in a nutshell, I, I don't know. What what would you call him? Is, is he kind of a, um, a a neutral observer? Kind of. Uh, do you think that he kind of goes whichever way the wind blows? So I, I wouldn't call him a neutral observer. What I would call uh, his character is a story kind of idea called a threshold guardian. He's the he's the He's the embodiment of a character that stands at the threshold of anything that you shouldn't go through even if your goal is on the other side and says, no, wait a minute, caution, hold on. Are you really thinking this through? Wait a minute, here's a different side maybe to what you are not seeing. <clears throat> and for the audience, that stuff is really important because it reminds us that there are always two sides of this. Even though we are siding because we want our protagonists, the pirates, to win, we are always drawn back to the idea that, yeah, but that's not actually how everybody was seeing it. So I don't know if he was necessarily neutral. He certainly had his own convictions. But in terms of the story itself, he was definitely sort of the uh, the other side to all of the, the different points that he was in. Because Charles Vane, even at the end, was like, you know, he couldn't have cared less what Pastor Lambrick wanted to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Miranda, even though she listened to him, she certainly didn't exactly take his advice or, but she, you know, she used that situation too. So exactly. That's yeah, what I was going to say. He's like, she I kind of used it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't think, and it also, Pastor Lambrick also gave us this awesome showcase for Miranda's, you know, super intelligent wit, which I don't know if we necessarily would have seen so much of if we hadn't had Pastor Lambrick to kind of be the, um, to be the 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 vessel for her to show that you know she didn't she knew so much i i liked that I oh yeah and even though miranda did have her reasons um you know like we said you know she kind of used him but i think that pastor lambrick you know and some of it was he was just nosy like watching the different people <laughs> that went in her house and then he had questions uh i think for her you know, uh, about Flint, the guy actually, I mean, cause he did make it out alive, you know, <laughs> of the series. He, he was one of the definite survivors. So it's kind of funny with his character, even though we did not get much of him, I think the things that he did, did a great job at moving the story forward for our other characters, uh, for our other characters like Miranda. Um, and for, actually, I don't even think did he and Flint ever talk in the series. I don't think that they ever 
ran across each other, did they? Not that I remember. Yeah. That that's that's a kind of an interesting thing how this particular character is kind of intertwined in a new story and because never he- because he represents him. the interior of the island, right? He does not represent mm-hmm. the, he, you know, he represents more of the civilization side of things. So for, so for him to have some kind of engagement with Flint probably would have been deadly. You, now, do you know what Flint, Thomas Hamilton, and Pastor Lambrook all have in common? Uh, hairdresser? Nope. It's something obvious. What, what, what did you say? You said what did... What does Flint, oh. Thomas Hamilton, and uh, and um, Pastor Lambert all have, have in common? I mean, they all they all had Miranda's fine ass <laughs> at right. some point. Yeah, I mean, that's what they got in common. Well, at, at, least, at least to me, you know what I'm saying? That's to right. Me, that's <laughs> they, they all had a piece of uh, Miranda. Well, I totally didn't see that at all. <laughs> hey, Miranda Hamilton was the truth. Mm. She was wholesomely awesome, I guess. Wholesomely in a cuckoldy kind of way. But <laughs> <laughs> she, she did her thing. But Pastor Lambert, I mean, I I could totally understand if someone who watched the show, Pastor Lambert, even though we talk about it on the show and we made a point to ask the you know ask the fans who were in the group what they wanted to hear. Pastor Lambert is totally a character that if you weren't a person who was like into message boards or really into um, talking about um, black sales more in depth, he's totally a forgettable character, though. Yeah, it's weird. I, I You're right. I, I think because I have to remind people when we talk about black sales who that character was. And like a lot of people will remember the scene with Miranda sitting on the porch talking about uh, the psalm, but they don't remember specifically that it was Pastor Lambert that was there to speak to that. So it, 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 you're right. He is kind of forgettable. Uh, yeah. But big shout out to Mark Elderkin. <laughs> <laughs> no, after we like it, it's forgettable, but you was awesome in your... Uh, forgettable moments. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm never going to, like, there, there are certain things, even though the character was not, you know, used a ton, um, I'm always going to remember. Because, you know, this show at times, you know, it gets kind of darker or, or, or whatever. But Pastor Lambrick and his scenes with Miranda were kind of some of those one of those funny scenes since you didn't have a ton of them in the series i'm always going to remember him in relation to some of the um i'm using air quotes here some of the funny moments that he had with miranda so for me you know his relationship with her as a friend slash uh 32nd lover um i thought that that was pretty cool 32nd lover Hilarious! Oh, yeah, it was a it was a quick. We asked him too about that uh, the the pump two pump jump. <laughs> <laughs> two pump jump. Yep. Yeah, we yeah. we talked talk about that. It, it's good to know that he felt the same way when he was uh, when he was in the scene. So. <laughs> He's like, dang, can I get a little you know a little more than that uh, going there? Yeah. So, although I'm sure from the writer's perspective that probably made a ton of sense oh because he was a pastor yeah well i'm pretty sure well i mean i don't know he didn't seem like the kind that was sort of you know out there womanizing 
So no, I, I don't. I didn't see that from him, but uh, yeah, he definitely didn't seem like it the in what, his performance. You know, the, the, the one strange thing that I will say about Pastor Lambrick, which I, I has taken me sort of a couple of uh, watchings of Black Sails to kind of get. It, it's always interesting to to me to see what how they decide to uh, hit on the morality that they're going to hit on. And what always strikes me as strange is the moment that he realizes that he's done this with Miranda and then leaves, the next time we see him, he basically makes no apology for what happens and says something along the lines of, I'll never fall for that trick again. As if like Miranda was somehow (laughs) in charge of like, puppet stringing him it it, that always sits in my head as being one of the more hilarious predictable things i mean i kind of you gotta agree with it though i mean right she was puppet training him she was do you you really think she was yes (laughs) yes 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 (laughs) so um so, uh, okay, so let's move on to our last character. And once again, uh, this, the actor uh, who was so very nice, uh, Shawn Michael, to come on the program in the first season. And, and I believe uh, the second season, or was it the third season, when he uh, came back onto the show? Yeah, I think, oh my gosh. I think it was the third season. I'm sorry, who did you say? Sean Cameron Michael played Richard Guthrie. Uh, he was so you know nice to come on uh, twice on the program, and uh, and you know I, I'm glad he didn't figure out that uh, apparently we have a uh, uh, <laughs> we're bad luck to the cast. But um, you know what's so funny was every role I've ever seen him in, he's always you know for lack of a better word, douchebag characters, right? Uh, (laughs) and i even i even said it in his interview the first one like he was in um they had this uh during the writer's strike they made this episode of 24 where they shot it in africa and he was like one of the bad guys in there uh well not the bad guy he was more more or less uh he was a good guy but who really was douchey right and he was just so good at that character be you know like you there's no way you would see his character and not just hate that guy you know like, <laughs> yeah he was a Sean Beam of douchiness he was yeah. horrible like he, you know they like he was like shitty to some ki- African kids you know just just terrible right yeah. and then that's a skill yeah right and uh, but when he was on the show and I know it's acting we all know it's acting but sometimes when somebody's so good at playing horrible people. You just kind of like, well, what kind of person is he going to be? And Sean Cameron Michael was so cool, right? He was a real cool guy, uh, real nice. Oh, yeah. He was hip, real kind of hip. I think. What didn't he go to? What concert was it? Eminem or something? Yeah, I think that's what. He, yeah, Eminem yeah, concert. Wow. We had, saw, we had saw pictures. Yeah, that was that was a trip. <laughs> yeah. Very. I mean, he. He's a very likable person, even if you follow him on, you know, social media and kind of keep up with the things that he's got going on. It's kind of fun because he he's definitely he you know, he's still he's still putting in work. So that that's what makes me, you know, more happy, you know, just to see that actually a lot of the people that we've had on the show are still, you know, working. Actually one of the most active people 
um, that I had seen doing things is was uh, Sabangale uh, Malambo. I mean, she's all on TV. I mean, she's in Lost in Space. She's on Freeform Channel doing mermaid stuff. She's got everything going on. So it's good to know that Sean, um, that Sean Cameron Michael and everybody, um, some well, some of the people who we have, you know, well, most of the people that we've had on the show have kept things up. And I actually, uh, I think recently there was some type of award show where Sean Cameron Michael and Savangale, um, they were there together. Awesome, phenomenal pictures of the event. But yeah, I mean, he's good at what he does. And I, I want to see him in a lot more... Um, mainstream movies. I mean, he's been in some, but I, you know, he's the type of person where you're like, man, you know, this is a great talent, and I just wish that um, more of the world got an opportunity to see what he does. <clears throat> yeah, he's he's a, a excellent actor, and in uh, a real cool cat. So uh, definitely, would you know, like you said, I echo those se- sentiments. Now, um, so my my thing is, uh, so let's get into his character. Uh, his character is a is one where you're, you know, he is in the the line of what you know we described as you know from his twenty four character a little bit you know especially in the beginning right he's uh you know he represents obviously the power at Nassau he's you know he sits from his throne essentially running things. And his relationship with his daughter, you know, is very, very interesting because, you know, in my mind and what we've seen on the show is one of the things she always wanted was his approval. You know, he she's in a way she's a daddy's girl. Right. And she always wanted her approval, his approval and to really show that she can run things and do things. Uh, on her own and because I remember it was something I think primarily said the most in the first season but everybody's attitude towards her was well you're doing what you're doing because you have your dad you know (laughs) like your dad is the reason why you're able to do what you're doing you know and uh, um, she wanted to show that that wasn't the only reason why and uh, we'll, once again, we'll go back to Jen. Let's talk about the relationship of, you know, of uh, Richard Guthrie and his daughter. <clears throat> well, th- this is one. This is one character relationship that actually sort of always kind of gets to me a little bit because, in some ways, they. They sort of did it too well. Like it has a kind of hyper realism to it that is disturbing to say the least. And it's not a caricature disturb. It's not caricature of the relationship. It's like it's an actual, real, sort of granular pain to it. And and it, it feels like maybe there's something even that we didn't see. Like like there would be a great story all by itself of the kind of house that Eleanor Guthrie grew up in and and what she saw um and and it would make an amazing story all by itself but in terms of the in the context of black sales that relationship was in in a strange way that relationship felt like it was the most toxic of any relationship that any of the characters had 
and and there are some pretty toxic relationships on black sales but that particular one felt about as insidious as they could possibly get for a number of different reasons one because i always got the feeling that richard was very much in control of sort of what he let eleanor have the successes the failures, the everything. I mean, even trying to sort of plant Mr. Scott uh, in a place that he could control Eleanor was, it it, it felt so incredibly, uh, I don't know, masterful in, in a really bad way on his part. But it also felt like, you know, these these kinds of people, these kinds of sort of tyrants without having the huge tyrant personalities, that's why it worked so well because his personality didn't match the sort of malevolence that he had in all of his actions. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people about how Richard Guthrie sort of refocused who Eleanor was in in season two. And what I think we pull away from it is Eleanor had this not just a complicated relationship with Richard, but a complicated relationship with Richard as not just her father, but also as sort of her business partner. And so it's weird because when you think about who Richard was, was he first and foremost the business partner or was he first and foremost simply being the manipulative person that he was. And I, sometimes I can't really tell because even when Charles Vane says things about what, you know, what he said as his last and uh, what he believes that putting daughters before profits and all of that, it's, there's still something that seems missing out of that equation. I can't put my finger on it, but I'm really interested to hear what you guys might say. Well, go ahead, Kente. Jump in, sir. No, I mean, that relationship was definitely cold. Uh, and when I say cold, I mean cold like uh, it was very deep, you know, the the way that they got along. And the thing is, I don't know, you know, I wondered about how she really felt about him. I know it's her father, right, and she had love for him. But I think it was in, in his death where you really got to see how she really felt about her father. Uh, I thought one thing also that was interesting about about the relationship um, is that I wonder, you know, we wonder if if dad did what he did for her benefit or was it like, did he do it to protect her or did he do it for his own end or whatnot? And ultimately, I believe that he did it to protect his daughter. I think I think he was a caring father. Maybe he didn't know how to show it, you know, but I think that he yeah. was. So, I mean, I'm, so ultimately, you know, I think their life is a lot of is a lot of uh, what could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Do you all think that, uh, you know, we had this conversation. I think it was um, it was actually the. I think it was the episode prior to when he came back on after his character was uh, was killed off. You remember how we were talking about because we know that his relationship with her was, you know, it, it was really 
awkward and then sometimes it was painful but i think right before he died there was a there was a scene um where he and eleanor were outside and they were talking and i think i had felt like in his own way he was kind of trying to make amends with her and, and you know it was obviously it was right before he died because you know that that's the way tv does it you know once people <laughs> once people start making up and it's been you know this crazy relationship usually one of those characters is going to die i did like before he died in his own way because it wasn't really overt i do think that he was trying to make peace with her but you know you know, Vane was uh, tracking him down at that point, which which we really didn't know as, you know, as viewers. But I thought that their relationship, I'm kind of with Jen. It's It, it was it was awesomely aggravating, you know, how they, <laughs> how they uh, interacted with one another. But for me, I, I, could, I could tell that even though their relationship was, I guess you could deem it as kind of a bad you know, relationship, uh, I still think that they both loved each other in their own type of way. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Y- y- there's a difference, right, between... Boy, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this one, but, y- you know, you can, you can... When you grow up with somebody, you can love them because they're your family, and there's a bond there, and it, it just exists. But that doesn't mean that after they have hurt you so many times that that one or two or even three overtures of doing something good and nice for you. I think Eleanor puts it best in that one scene where she sits down with him and says, I'm going to just lay it all out on the line with you and tell you exactly what I think of what is happening here. Because he comes in and says, you know, you're so close to getting everything you wanted and I'm here to help you get it. And she basically throws it right back at him and says, look, I don't believe you. I think you've got other motivations going on here. I don't know what you're even doing here. There's a part of me that thinks that the Richard Guthrie character at that point, although he could see a path for Eleanor's and his interest to intersect and where it was possible that they could do uh, a mild form of sort of reconciliation. I don't think that love is sort of the, the, the kind of, I don't think that's the foundation of their relationship. I think the foundation of their relationship at that point is let's say one of uh, mutual, they mutually needed each other. And, and to that end, it was really important because Eleanor really needed his money and Richard, I think, really needed to have somebody be the front of Nassau that he didn't have to get his hands dirty for. She could handle all of that for him. So the, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, break anybody's fairy tale about, you know, did they love each other? I'm sure they did. But that foundation, I don't think it was built on love. It just, it, that never, even when people were coming in as Eleanor was mourning, she makes a, a big statement about these people aren't here really here to mourn my father. They're here to tell me what side of the street they stand on. And it, like everything is seen through that lens. And so I, I don't know how to sort of divorce the idea of Eleanor and Richard from and their relationship from the, the wider piece, which is the, the Guthrie story of nasa altogether. does that make sense no it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. 
It makes absolutely perfect sense. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's one of those things. The one thing I love about it, about the relationship, it's complicated, right? It's just not, it's not, uh, you know, straightforward, if you will. And I think it, what it does, it lends itself to, to, um, just even when you go back and you check it out, you know, it, it's different. It's riveting, you know. You know, in a strange way, I think Eleanor's choice, not to get too far into Eleanor, but Eleanor's choice to uh, to be with the governor, I think, was actually 100% molded by Richard Guthrie. 100% Richard Guthrie basically was everything that Eleanor didn't want out of a relationship, and the governor stood for something that was completely opposite of what Richard Guthrie was. That's what, he, that's what she saw in him. So it's kind of... It, interesting you're right it's complicated but it's very interesting that richard guthrie was such an incredibly uh multi-dimensional character for as little screen time as he actually had there were a lot of facets to richard guthrie mm. so i guess that that pretty much wraps it up uh anything uh any last words about any of the characters before we say goodbye uh, you know what? No, I mean, um, definitely of these, uh, of the characters that we talked about, of course, Richard Guthrie had a little bit more screen time than, than the other two, but I definitely love talking about that character and I can't wait to see what the people in the group, um, who are the next three people that they pick, because I think we're doing a, um, a good job by actually putting it in their hands, the type of content, you know, that they want. And I do agree with Kente. I think, what did you say the other week? You said that we're going to have a poll and as long as you vote the right way. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we're still going to hold on to that philosophy because anybody talking about, we need to talk about, you know, Baba Tunde or Esther, uh, (laughs) you're not going to (laughs) get, you're not going to get, you're not going to get us to do that. So let's root against, uh, the Baba Tunde's and, uh, you know, work more towards some of our core characters. If we pulled out a Baba Tunde episode out of our butt, I would be very impressed. I don't think yeah, I would too. Because <laughs> literally, there's nothing to go off of, even though he was an intimidating presence. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, hate it I think died. next up in terms of interest is basically the, the, the three, the triad of women that sort of dominated the story. That is Eleanor, Max, and Anne. So the, in terms of of the of what we came up with in the poll those are sort of the next that's the next big block i'm sorry say that one more time you kind of cut out the 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 next big block in that poll was eleanor max and anne that's the big that's the next big part of the poll and it's like those are the the pivotal triad of women power in the story okay yeah i can dig it Look, I like Max a lot, so I'm a big, huge uh, admirer of her. So I would love to do that. You know, it's funny, like when the show began, you know, I, I was all all about that, you know, the character uh, of Max. And I maintained that throughout the series. But once we started to get to know more about Miranda Barlow, I, I just kind of, <laughs> she became the number one. And then Max, because it almost seems like once Max started becoming, 
you know, once we got everything that we wanted from Max Kente, it seems like her character got a little bit boring. You know, once we were like, oh, she needs to come out of the funk, you know, and then once she starts handling shit, I'm like, well, damn, can we, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, damn, can we, can we kind of get back? And actually, I'm excited to talk about Max because I'm really curious about how both of you will rehash it. I know we talked about it in the past on the episode. I'm really curious to hear uh, how people really felt about how her arc um, ended and maybe that should be something you should throw in the group and kind of ask people how they felt that these character arcs ended and how did they feel about it and we can kind of add that to uh, n- you know the next conversation yeah that's a great idea yeah sounds excellent all right with all that said I'm gonna thank everybody for listening and of course uh, the our participants as well I'm gonna start off with you because we'll do ladies first Jen how can people get you in social media and all that good stuff? And what should we be on the lookout for? People can find me on social media on Twitter at followingbliss1, the number one. And people can find me on pretty much every other social media at just following bliss. And um, I don't know. What else can we look out for? Not a, not, not a whole lot. Although I should plug our, our, our other podcast because... There's a lot of good cinema that we're doing, so we should totally plug that podcast. Kinte, you should do that. Um, definitely will. And uh, so, uh, Yardley, how can we get you in social media? And tell us about uh, your great podcast as well. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at militant underscore marker, and you can follow the Creepin' It Real show at creepin' underscore it n with no g and uh you know we do horror movie reviews uh paranormal movie reviews or paranormal news weird news all types of things like that and uh usually we're still in the haze of it being early in the morning on a sunday when we when Mm -hmm. we record the show but it's pretty fun and this show is one of the reasons why i've had you know, I've used my movie pass, you know, a lot. So uh, they have gotten me a little bit more into watching uh, paranormal or, you know, what is it called? Found footage or horror movies. And uh, I can definitely, you know, appreciate that. And, and it's fun. And we talk about a whole bunch of different things. And we're always open to feedback and suggestions from the community about what to watch or, you know, if they have ghost stories or anything like that, we uh, will read them and do them on the show. So it's pretty cool. But the show's evolving. It's still kind of new. But we, well, no, I, I think we're, damn, we're actually. I think we're like 30 episodes in, so I guess we're not new anymore. But uh, but we, we the show kind of evolves with what's going on with the time. So it's fun, and uh, we just try to do our best. We're having fun, and we're going to keep at it. And, and I just got to plug, follow these guys on Twitter, because they're all just awesome. I mean, some of the stuff that they throw out there is just phenomenal. It's, it's, it's so fun. It's genuinely fun. So you oh, got thanks. my vote. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Now go put that vote on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow me at KenteF on Twitter, as well as go to our website, IndieRadio.org. And uh, we also have a, a program called Cinema de Fromage, and it is in its second season. And uh, last week we reviewed Omega Man, the Omega Man, excuse me, uh, and had a lot of fun. Uh, this Thursday, uh, we're going to be doing re- The Return of the Living Dead, and uh, Yardley is going to be a special guest on that uh, as well so looking forward to hearing his take on return of living dead i'm probably going to watch it tonight or early in the morning so 
um, so it could be fresh as possible uh, when I watch <laughs> it. But um, just to let people know, uh, other movies that we're going to do is uh, we're doing The Warriors after that and uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. So those are our next two after Return of the Living Dead. So looking forward to uh, chopping it up and uh, really going deep into these movies as well as, uh, of course, we'll be back here next week with the all-new episode uh, of uh, Black Sales Series Retrospective. It'll be part four in our series. So looking forward to all of that stuff. You guys have a great and beautiful rest of your week. God bless. You're 3,000 feet above the trees in a hot air balloon. Your significant other gets down on one knee and pulls out a box containing a ring. You realize that this is the magic moment you've been looking forward to. Because there's never been a better time to test drive the 2018 CLA Coupe at your authorized Mercedes-Benz dealer. With its sleek silhouette, unrivaled performance and technology, the CLA is your dream ride. Visit MBUSA.com CLA to learn more. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing.